Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. Welcome back to Taking the Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey, and I'm really excited to be able to introduce our next guest, someone who I have been looking forward to having on this program for quite some time. Uh, Reggie Leonard uh, is from the University of Virginia, the School of Data Science and School of Engineering. He is an Associate Director for Career Connections and Community Engagement. He's got an incredible background. I met Reggie a number of years ago. Uh, Reggie, while you were at the university or Liberty University, and uh, you brought me in as a speaker for uh, some some career, and we were doing some career work on a book that I had just written, and I actually had the opportunity to travel with you to South by Southwest down in Austin, Texas, and that might be one of my favorite trips. A group of us guys went down there and uh, just took it all in. Uh, At night, you introduced me to Roots Chris there. I had never had a Roots Chris steak until you introduced me to it. That's right. I, I forgot about that. We had we celebrated a birthday party at Roos Chris yep. and yep. <laughs> and we just we had just an absolute blast. And one of the things, you know, that I really enjoyed as we were walking around I mean, it was, South by Southwest is just an incredible place. So many uh, intellectuals and thought leaders and uh, people coming together to, to to share ideas and you were able to navigate from venue to venue um, person to person, and were just so well spoken and thoughtful about every single topic that was being d- d- discussed. It didn't matter where we went, didn't matter what topic we were talking about. You found yourself in the middle of the conversation with insightful commentary. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I just remember taking just t- tons of notes. And in the evenings, I enjoyed sitting, uh, you know, back at the hotel. We'd kind of meet in the lobby. We just hang out. We were talking, and uh, I just I, I learned so much from you through the course of the, that weekend and you know just absolutely love spending time with you so anytime that we get together and we start talking uh, I, I just find uh, your insights very um, no, no pun intended but I guess insightful um, so looking really looking forward for our listeners to be able to get to learn from you today uh, to, to hear what you have to share about the the changing economy especially since you are in higher education you've worked with multiple universities now you're helping uh, undergrads kind of uh, navigate the beginnings of their career uh, how is education and changing and all those types of things. But let me, I'll give a little bit of background for our listeners. Sure. Uh, so you got your undergraduate degree from uh, Bowie State University, uh, a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. And while you were there, you graduated cum laude. And you were also, let's see, the treasurer and founding member of the Men's Soccer Club. So congratulations on that. I, I, I did not realize that you were a, uh, a soccer player, but it, it does not yeah. shock me. does not shock me. <laughs> uh, you also went to um, Liberty University, and you got your Master of Arts in Professional Counseling there. And that's where, actually, I, I met you. And, and since then, you not only did great work at Liberty University uh, for, the, for those students, 
But you uh, transitioned over to the University of Virginia, a phenomenal school, and you are, as I mentioned at the top of the program, the Associate Director for Career Connections and Community Engagement for the School of Data Science and also the School of Engineering. And I'd like to probably just go ahead and get started right there because I know we've had multiple conversations on you know what you're learning. You, know, you find yourself at the very epicenter of a very growing and dynamic point in the, the, the new modern economy. And I, I would just like to, to glean some knowledge from you in terms of what are you learning, what's happening, uh, what do you see happening in higher education right now? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, maybe I'll start with uh, alluding to your initial book, your first book, actually. And one of the reasons why I made a, a pivot, um, pun intended, um, from Liberty University to the University of Virginia was because I really wanted to be um, in a career services department or office where a lot of folks were really looking to push the boundaries of what we were doing for career services. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of times students and parents have expectations of universities that the universities don't necessarily share. Um, and so for universities, we're kind of known as being pure academics and protecting the kind of quality and sanctity of liberal arts and things like that, which I am all for. Um, but also, there's this um, transactional nature that a lot of people approach universities with, where there are literal ROI or return on investment calculators mm -hmm. for how quickly you can pay your loans back after you graduate and things like that. And that's just a reality of the world and the economy that we live in. And so I wanted to be in a career services office that was doing things that kind of lived in that same world and reality as well. And so what I mean by that is we're doing a lot of skill development, a lot of career development, and not just placement and things like that, um, but more so helping students explore, and we even use the, the language of prototype their careers, um, so that they can essentially start to interrogate the interests that they have as soon as they have them with little small experiences like informational interviews or externships or small projects or whatever the case may be. And so all of that kind of brings me to also why my title is so long and weird, um, where I'm the Associate Director for Career Connections and Community Engagement. Really, I could have been called an Associate Director for Employer Relations, but again, to your question about kind of where education is now and where it's headed and things like that, it's headed to this model where folks are going to continue to need credentialing um, throughout their careers, um, whether that's coming back to universities to do a boot camp or a workshop model or something like that, or they're doing shorter master's programs. I've heard of the idea of micro master's programs from Stanford University and other places like that. But really the goal is to help start students on the path of thinking about um, how to identify the things that they're interested in and then how to pursue those interests in very proactive ways. And so career connections and community engagement means that I'm not only working with employers, but I might be working with folks in the community who are business owners or professionals who can teach skill development workshops for our students or who can teach things like how do you work remotely in a pandemic? You know, mm -hmm. like what are you learning since your company went remote fully that I can now learn as a student who's going to be going into a virtual internship, you know, and so that's kind of the nature of my role. And I think that that's the future of education where we're also kind of having these auxiliary services that wrap around the actual academic programs that students attend and go through and kind of prepare them for life after college so that they can kind of close that skills gap that a lot of people write and talk about. 
What's interesting that you you highlight early on about the the ROI and how that is an important uh, equation uh, for that people are considering when they're they're choosing higher education, what degree programs, what universities, and the the, the question I have for you. Do you believe that everybody graduating high school today needs to go to a four-year college to and get a college education when many times for a person to do that, it's requiring a great deal of student loan debt? Because, I mean, the, the prices of higher education and a four-year degree have, I mean, far outpaced almost any other um, item in society in terms of, you know, the, the, the skyrocketing cost, it, does everybody need to do it? And I know I'm asking, not. okay, I was going to say, I'm, I know I'm asking a college kind of like administrator, your job is to kind of fill the seats and fill the roles. And so I was like, I, I know that there's a little bit of a bias here, but it's interesting yeah. that you, so here you're saying, no, tell me, tell me who should yeah, and who shouldn't. Not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's definitely a nuanced question and would really come down to the individual. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the ways that I've always counseled folks is on their values mm-hmm. um, and kind of also thinking a little bit longer term past first destinations and what your first job would be out of college and more so kind of considering the fact that like how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And so applying a similar principle to your work, um, making sure that the decisions that you're making about where what, what types of careers you're pursuing are in line with the, the vision for your life that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the earlier you start asking questions about like, who do you want to be? How do you want to be in the world? You know, like, how do you want to relate to your community or your family mm-hmm. um, and things like that? And then start to identify different types of career interests and things like that. I mean, to your point, to the way that you worded your question, there are there are, and and to the books that you've written, there are many ways um, to gain skills and things like that that can make you employable. And there are many paths to getting to a certain type of career. I mean, even at our university, we don't even advise students based on their majors. We advise them based on industry interests because you can get into those industries in such a variety of ways. And if you talk to most people who are in their jobs, most people's paths are pretty windy. They're mm-hmm. not linear. And that's just the nature of the world. And so with that also being the case, I think that university is for some people and it's also not for some people. And there are plenty of other avenues for folks to enter the workforce and you know make an impact in society as well. Um, it, and it's expensive. University is an expensive decision for sure. And with more and more large companies, usually tech companies, kind of removing the requirement to have a degree, um, to apply for their positions, I think that there are going to continue to increasingly be different mm-hmm. pathways for universities. But also, I think that, I, I guess maybe this is kind of getting to who should and who shouldn't go mm-hmm. to a university. Um, for folks who don't come from backgrounds with strong social capital, um, who don't come um, you know, with lots of connections and things like that, who don't come from um, families that have like a strong history of professional work, um, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, I think that college is a great on-ramp into society um, and into social capital and into access to opportunity that they may not otherwise know how to access. Um, so I think that to not go the college route is to need to have a sense of resilience and uh, ingenuity in crafting your career path that a lot of folks just don't know how to mm-hmm. have because our 
system up to this point, education-wise, has not really trained people to think in that way. It's trained people to check boxes mm -hmm. and kind of go to the next step. And college is the final next step before a job. Um, and so I think that for folks who have a little bit more of that ingenuity and things like that, they might be able to fare better um, taking a less traditional path. Um, and that's not to say that either is better or worse um, or, or less creative or more creative. But the college path is the most linear path mm -hmm. um, for most folks. Well, that is a brilliant insight. And it, it when you, especially when you start talking about a folks who might start taking a less traditional path and it, it, it feels like we're somewhat coming full circle. And what I mean by that, I was talking to a, uh, a head hunting agency a number of years ago. This is when I was writing my first book and uh, this particular executive said, Bob, you know, if you really think about it, take a look at like uh, your grandparents' generation, maybe even your parents' generation. You know, it was commonplace for everyone to kind of graduate from high school. And if you really wanted to kind of distinguish yourself, there was a select few that went on to college. And, and, they, and they went on because they were going to go and do like some type of professional roles. But most people just graduated high school and then entered into the workforce. Then what happened was all of a sudden it was, it, it became commonplace for everybody. You, you graduate high school, everybody's going to college. Now, if everyone one's got a college degree. Now, if you really want to distinguish yourself, you don't just need a college degree. You got to have a uh, a master's degree. You've got to go on, and, and and that's how you distinguish yourself even further. And and because of this, again, this is this you know um, executive placement firm, headhunting firm, telling me this. I said, you know, now you know. So the the cost of school and everything is skyrocketed, and people are saying, hey, do I really want to invest and get a you know, an undergraduate degree? Do I want to go and get an advanced degree? Do I want to saddle myself with $100,000 of student loan debt? Uh, and you hear all these stories of people graduating and not being in their career fields and uh, and, and struggling. Uh, uh, my goodness, I mean, you pick up the Wall Street Journal almost on a, uh, on a weekly basis. There's an article of somebody in their 50s or 60s who still hasn't paid off their student loan debt. Yeah. And now it's yeah. come full circle where people are saying, you know what? I can go out and have a successful career. I can go out and be successful as an entrepreneur, start a business, and I don't need to do that. I'm going to bypass all of that. And so we're seeing a, a generation now that are saying, and, I, and I've had these kind of conversations with people where I say, look, I, I'm going to go to school because I want this particular career and I have to have this credential, as you said, this degree sure. to get in. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be, if you're going to start your own business, you, it's like, you can get all the knowledge you want from Coursera and edX and by reading books from the library and being self-taught. And it's a world-class education. I do think that uh, the, the word education is interesting. I mean, when you, I, I was kind of tracking with what you were saying, and the the word, the last word you said is the the word that sparked the thought in, in my mind. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest things that you do get at a university is an education, mm -hmm. and I mean that in a broad sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of folks have a lot of pathways to get knowledge mm -hmm. and information, and there are even curated pathways to that via things like Coursera and you know, skill, uh, just different skill development platforms yeah. and things like that. Um, I, I do think it's, there's also a compelling um, kind of finding that the exponential career trajectory growth mm -hmm. of people with college degrees versus folks who maybe go a boot camp route is pretty different, mm -hmm. um, at least at this point. And a part of me wonders, I mean, 
I think I think a lot about creating space and the space to actually experience the things that you're experiencing. And so we had a conversation a couple of years ago in career services at UVA where we were wanting to figure out how to create more what we called life transforming Mm -hmm. experiences for students. And so in order to do that, we wanted to kind of operationalize what we meant by life transformational or life transforming um, experiences. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting and thinking about how many times I've driven somewhere 20 30 minutes away and then suddenly arrived which meant that like i just was zoned out the entire way and i realized that like it's not experiences that change us it's our reflections on those experiences that change us um and so in a very similar way i think that university settings tend to create space for reflection and exploration and just kind of wading in the water of the things that you're experiencing versus this kind of full out head down sprint that's just focused on skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's an opportunity for the less traditional education paths and things like that to kind of step that side of Mm -hmm. their offerings up. Um, But I do think that maybe there's something there where there's more of a tie into how you and your work fits into the larger world um, more than just the skills that you have um, and kind of you becoming this, um, I don't know, this like individual human, like machine of productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's the kind of thing that I, I, I get nervous about mm-hmm. when I hear about the future of education conversations and mm-hmm. things. I mean, I, I listened to a very fascinating episode of the Venture Stories podcast by mm-hmm. Village Capital, um, where they had Kaplan, um, Kaplan's entrepreneur in residence, um, can't believe I forget her first name. It's something O'Connor. Um, but she was just talking about the, the future of education. And they brought up this notion of, you know, white labeled universities as a service to like, you know, sell to a Facebook or a Google, because the question came up of like, well, what if you just like, you know, went to a Google university, because they know what it takes to be a successful software engineer at Google, and they already teach workshops and skill development classes through growwithgoogle.com. Um, and so why don't they just syndicate that and make it a university and i was thinking about that and i'm like it's just like so utilitarian it's just so it's so abstracted away from the fact that you're actually contributing to the world that you live in and the fact that like your work actually builds the version of the world that we live in and i think that a lot of times we approach our careers with this inevitability of like i need a job when in reality we need to do work and our, we need to do work because our world needs cultivation and there's a lot of opportunity in mm-hmm. it to be uncovered and work is how we do that, whether it's through a job or hobbies or whatever the case may be. And often we're able to align the work that we want to do with the work that a company is doing. And so that's great. But I just fear that the more we abstract that down to mm-hmm. strictly just check boxes of skills mm-hmm. um we are kind of creating this utilitarian you know postmodern, like very like matrix-esque society mm-hmm. of, of robots yeah. that you know like all of the sci-fi movies depict yeah well it, it, as you as you highlight that it it it, it triggers the thought in me that it's it, we're in some respects we are moving away from the the classical education um, where universities were originally started to gather people together where there there was time and space to think and to ponder and to debate uh-huh. and it wasn't just well what's the right answer but it was um, right. 
it, it was this talk and discussion, as I highlighted at the very beginning uh, of the program, one of my uh, favorite memories of, of our time together was when we were at South by Southwest. And it was in the evenings where we sat around in the hotel lobby, and with a group of people, we were discussing and debating and pondering the issues of the day, the technology, the economy. And it was the, the whole uh, adage of iron sharpening iron. It's like, hey, hey, I've got a different viewpoint on that. This is my worldview. This is my experience. What do you think? Where, where, where are we going to go in the future? And here's... Yeah. There's, there's a word that you used a second ago, and this might take us down a little bit of a rabbit trail, starts to get okay. into maybe some social elements today, but it's something that I've thought about and I'm really concerned about, and I want to get your, your viewpoint. You've, you, th- it was the word space. Uh. You've, you've now been at two different universities, and it, well, one of the things that I have witnessed over the last number of years was the term safe space at major universities, right? Where, uh, and, and uh, my, my mental model of what universities and colleges ha- were developed for has been kind of shaken because one of the things that I relish so much about my undergrad at the University of Tennessee, I didn't get this so much in my engineering program at the University of Arkansas, but I got a lot of it at the at Harvard uh, Business School, was getting into environments where there were people who had um, vastly different worldviews, uh, opinions, uh, religious preferences. It, it, the, the, the diversity was so immense, and being in a, 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 an environment where we could openly debate and talk and discuss and share these ideas, and I feel like it made me a better leader. It helped me understand the world. I, I, I saw the world through different lenses and viewpoints and so forth, and it, then I see um, universities uh, creating safe places and it's almost like as if like uh debate and 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 uh and discussing on certain ideas is not no longer allowed it's like no no we're not going to talk about that it's like almost like this very very myopic viewpoint we can only discuss it if you if you view this what's what's your view i mean have you seen that with your universities what's your perspective on it is that is is it eroding the kind of the, the education that we should be trying to aspire students to partake in yeah, that's a really a really interesting kind of question and line of thinking, and, and it's definitely jogging some thoughts in my mind. The first, I don't know. I know it's probably loaded. I probably, it's a loaded question. I apologize. Well, it's absolutely loaded, but it's totally fine. Um, I, I, and these are the types of conversations that we need to have uh, more candidly, because otherwise, if they're just bubbling beneath the surface and, and folks aren't able to actually talk, you know, mm-hmm. to your point, um, we're just censoring all types of conversation, mm-hmm. then uh, that's not going to change anyone's viewpoint or anything, mm-hmm. um, and people are just going to get further entrenched the question that came to my mind um so a, a quick question yeah. um is like do you take your shoes off at home uh yeah i do yeah like, especially now with the covid crisis we're like hey everyone take your shoes off we don't want to take bring the germs in the house right yeah absolutely and like i like in my mind that's like how i thought about like a safe space i'm like imagine living in a world where you never got to take your shoes off like imagine living in a world where like you never have a place where you can just feel like you're at home Mm -hmm. um like it's it's one thing to like have protection on your feet Mm -hmm. um but it's another thing to just be like you know what i'm free like this is my space like i'm at home like 
my feet are kicked up. Like if I step on a Lego that a kid left, like it is what it is. It happens. It's a part of life. Um, so, I mean, what I think is that there's some efficacy in having safe spaces for, for that sense of comfort, belonging, camaraderie, especially because they're usually kind of made in the context where, um, like folks who are, are advocating for a safe space Mm -hmm. are advocating for it because they don't feel like they have space. Mm -hmm. Um, at, at, at the university or the specific organization or entity or whatever. But it's also, it also makes me think of the opposite end of it that actually speaks to the creation of what you were talking about in terms of having the diversity of ideas and things like that. Universities are mm-hmm. also safe spaces for that in the sense that safety is something that's like peace, mm-hmm. um, you know, where there's this difference between peacemaking and mm-hmm. peacekeeping. And I think that not having a safe space is peacekeeping having a safe space can be like peacemaking where you're drawing a line in the sand and saying like we we want like we want to create an environment mm. that fosters a safe space for all people and if some people don't feel safe in this space then they're not going to be able to be a part of that diverse community that we want mm-hmm. but if we create space for them to feel safe enough to like fully settle into themselves then we can we can have these right. more diverse conversations. When I was saying settle into themselves, I, I had this visualization of cooking a steak and letting it rest for 10 minutes yeah. um, and, and how, how much that like re imparts mm-hmm. the flavor into the steak allows the hemoglobin to kind of like recontextualize and things mm-hmm. like that. And the texture is just beautiful. And I think that that's what safe spaces allow us to do um, is to settle into ourselves enough to be able to say, okay, I'm ready to go back out. I'm ready to be a part of this broader conversation and things like that. Um, so I absolutely see the double-edged sword in mm-hmm. them, um, but would fall on the, the side of like thinking that there's some efficacy in exploring how to do them. Right. I definitely think that there are plenty of ways that they've not been done well, right. um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that ultimately they can act in service of um, a more diverse conversation. So let, let maybe let me try to maybe clarify my comment a little bit and see if you can help me um, sure. uh, shed some insight and perspective. So where I have, and again, I, I admittedly I am not an expert in this area, but I, I, as I have as I have read. Uh, articles. Wall Street Journal uh, primarily is my one of my news sources, but as I've read articles and things that have happened, specifically at two institutions, Yale and Princeton, okay, uh-huh. and where I felt like, th- and I was like, and I I understand the concept of a safe place, maybe somewhere on campus where like-minded students can kind of get and gather and talk, and they feel, hey, I, this is part of my community. This is part of you know these are, these are my people. Um, but it felt like, at least in this article, as if it what we weren't, weren't talking about a spot on the university, but almost as if the entire university was being created into a safe space to where you sure. couldn't have uh, dialogue and debate, the vigorous discussion of opposing views in a classroom with a professor. Like it was, a, yeah. you had to have, and that's where I was, where I would feel it's like if I'm paying 
that kind of money to go to a prestigious university. I want to be able to have vigorous debate with my professor and other students in, in a healthy environment because I feel like that helps me see and experience the world different. Let me give you a prime example. Here, here, th it was a life-changing moment for me, something I've never witnessed. Th th and this was a couple years ago, and it was right around the time that uh, the Arab Spring was really underfoot, right? When we're talking, we've got riots. Uh, cities are on fire in the Arab world. People being killed in the streets, right? Oppressive governments are coming down on, on people. And of course, you know, you've got, so you've got uh, Israel uh, right smack dab in the middle of this. And with it, within my program, we had um, a, a number of uh, Jewish leaders, CEOs who are participating in this, you know, in the Harvard Business School executive program who were there, they're running big companies. And they also had um, leaders from around the, the, the Arab world, various different countries, very prominent CEOs. And we, they had this closed door meeting where people came together and were talking about the issues and it was like an, it was no holds barred but it was there, there was love and respect and admiration and and people said in that in that kind and I learned so much about the conflict and the issues and so forth and I watched guys who sat there in this auditorium talking with each other and said you know what I cannot say this I can't go back to my country and say what I'm saying for fear that I could be killed or my 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 family could be persecuted. Uh, I can't um, have these discussions openly because of you know certain things that might you know that might go on. And I saw people who were able to you know um, at the end of this tears in their eyes, hugging each other, right? And there was commonality, and you, you see this bonding. And and, and I would think. It, it, so it's. It, I think that it would be helpful in our in our college uh, colleges that we have those types of environments with that type of dialogue. And look, there were people who had very different viewpoints on 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 some of these world issues. But at the end, they they realized that they had more in common than they had differences, right? And. I don't know. So that that that's that's what I would hope we would see at universities like Yale and Princeton and and, and others, where those types of debates can happen. I, I just I'm concerned. Well, we might be a little bit off topic here, but you know, so my daughter, uh, as a junior at the University of Tennessee, I want her to have those types of dialogues, and but it, it feels like sometimes and and it's those dialogues aren't happening. I don't, and I don't, I don't know why. No, I completely agree. I mean, and, and I think it's hard for students to have those types of conversations when they're not even modeled by the adults, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, in, in the world. Um, and so I, I think that universities are kind of a, a microcosm in, in that sense of our broader society, because I would think that you'd probably say the same thing, and I would say the same thing about our broader di dialogue in our country as well. I mean, it's why there's this running narrative around cancel culture, because mm -hmm. that's essentially what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, people don't people aren't able to express um, quote-unquote dissenting opinions, which is like wild to even call it that because that shows that there's like one right way to think, mm -hmm. um, which like is to your point, you know, like, and, and that's not the world that we want to live in. We want to live in a world that has diverse ideas um, that thrive and we're able to kind of grow. And I think that a little bit of it too, um, 
gets to this uh, zero-sum um, type of thinking where we think that there's a finite amount of resources or power or um, access um, that exists, and so we're all fighting for our side to have a slice, mm -hmm. um, when in reality, I just think that there's so much that we haven't seen yet um, because we haven't created it yet, mm -hmm. because we haven't decided to come together enough to do it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, I'm absolutely like all for, you know, more diverse dialogue and things like that. And I, I absolutely think that we have so much more to see, mm -hmm. um, which is a big part of why I'm at a university, um, because I have access to like I, I get to read um, the Harvard Business Review, um, you know, through our library. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't have to subscribe to it. Um, you know, like, I mean, I, those are the like I I'm a nerd at heart and yeah. I absolutely love reading, reading scholarly articles, books, all types of stuff. I love interacting with our faculty. I love interacting with students who wanted to choose an academic path um, and things like that. And so I yeah, I love having those conversations and absolutely see um, so much um, room, so much more room for that in our, in our world, for sure. So uh, I want to uh, be a little bit selfish here and ask a question specifically for my daughter, and hopefully it'll be meaningful to other people who are listening. On this. So for my daughter, who is a junior in college, uh, how should she look for and engage uh, th those types of discussions on a college campus. What, what's the what's the right way? You know, I mean, you're you're a college administrator. You're seeing this. You've been at two different universities. You got your finger on the pulse. You know, if she's um, knowing that we've got like this inflamed culture where everything just seems like it's just you know it, we're uh, like a we're on a trigger, right? Everything's like. Yeah. How does she? You know, how do you uh, counsel and uh, people to be able to have these types of discussions on a college campus or with people of maybe have different viewpoints than you to the, the right way? Any any suggestions there? Yeah, I mean, the thought that comes to mind is just authenticity. And what I mean by that in this particular instance is having actual friends um, mm -hmm. who have different uh, backgrounds and things like that, because it it's never going to come off right if you want to have a conversation with um, like a person or a group that you don't necessarily agree with. And the first time that you interact with them is to have a conversation like that there's no way that that's going to be a positive interaction mm -hmm. and so like you have to have been there before mm -hmm. um, in some context whether as friends or classmates and actually acknowledge their existence as a human before their their existence as mm -hmm. someone who embodies an issue mm -hmm. um you know I, I think that that's the biggest piece of advice that i would give mm -hmm. um is to not let that be your first interaction yeah. <laughs> um, you know hey i want to debate you on this topic i, I know oh. you have a different viewpoint of me let's debate yeah yeah Exactly. Like I heard you believe this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. This isn't going to go down well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I was literally I was up in Michigan uh, just a weekend or two ago, and it you know just social. I, I think Facebook has become a complete sewer, and um, <laughs> it, it just it, it, and I, I just I, I remember one of my opening remarks was this. I said, guys, in in this world that seems to be like it's on fire, right? So I, I maybe you're better than me. Maybe maybe you're maybe you're a better communicator than me, and and, and you're and just a world class convincer. But I'm telling you, I have literally never once in my life sent a tweet 
or a Facebook message or a 30 second video or, you know, and, 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 and somebody who had a diametrically opposed opinion or worldview than me said, oh my gosh, Bob, that tweet or that video has changed my mind. I'm now going to vote the way you vote. You've radically changed the way I view the world. It doesn't happen. All we do is we, we're living in our echo chambers and we're riling up emotions on both sides. And the only way to Im- impact the world, to have change, to to help, is I think we need to be water on the fire, not gasoline on the fire. And you got to go out there. We got to serve. We got to love. We have to ha- have, build relationships like you were just saying. Have a friendship. Build a relationship. Have community. And th- through the course of that, then you can have meaningful, authentic, and transparent dialogue to, to impact change. Absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite quotes that I've adopted as definitely a, a principle in life is um, from Brene Brown, who I affectionately call Mama Brene, because I just get so much insight from her. Yeah. But she said that people are hate uh, are hard to hate um, from a distance, or people are easy to hate from a distance, move in. Yeah. Um, and so I've kind of made this mental algorithm where when I have a visceral reaction against something that someone says, um, or, is pres- or in the way that they're presenting themselves, I instantly say okay like move in Mm. Um, like that's just like how i am trying to retrain my brain because i'm like there's something about what they're saying that is drawing a visceral reaction out of me but what i truly believe though is that they're a human first Mm -hmm. and you know like that they have intrinsic value and that's what i want to default to Mm -hmm. as opposed to like my my disdain for their viewpoint or something like that and so like how might I move in? Like, mm-hmm. how, how might we have a different type of discussion where I can get to know more of them as a person, get to know more of where they're coming from? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not an algorithm that always runs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes my, my RAM runs out. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that algorithm, it, it didn't work right yeah. now. I, I don't like this person right now. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, that's what I'm striving Yeah. Well, that that is a awesome quote. I'm going to make sure to have that written down, and that's going to be one of my default mechanisms as, uh, as well. It, where uh, our leadership team is um, going through a a study, um, and it's lead like Jesus. You know, if you if you think about Jesus as a leader, or one the best leader, you know, in my opinion of all time, and that you know, and and that's one of the things that he did, right? He, Jesus, yeah. he didn't move away. He he leaned in. He moved in. He yeah. right. So. He, um, he he was having dinner with um, members of society that were like were, were despicable to all the religious leaders. Like, how can you be having dinner with these people? It's like these are the people I came to talk to. These are the people I came to you know to understand and, and to save. Right. Um, so and also, they make the best curry chicken in town. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, that's it. that is so true. We, we we need to step in and, um, and and be a part of those situations. Well, we. we we went down a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but I feel like I, it was very meaningful and, and helpful for me and hopefully for the leaders as well. Let, let's circle back around to the, the position that you're in at the University of Virginia. Uh, you, you find yourself at the, I believe, uh, the cutting edge epicenter of a new economy. I, I want to tee this up and then I'm just going to let you run with it because I every single time we talk on these topics, I, I take copious notes. But it was just a few years ago I mean, uh, that there was not a degreed program for data science, data analytics, and so forth. Yeah. And 
the Harvard Business Review was running an article about it was this was going to be the sexiest and most um, needed career field in the next 20 years. They say that data is the uh, is the new uh, gold in our uh, economy, or it's the digital oil for the new economy. And you actually went over there, uh, were a part of one of the very first, if not the first, uh, degreed programs within the United States in data science and data analytics. Uh, you mentioned a year or so ago that literally uh, Google, Facebook. Book, big companies were cherry picking your students, you know, one and two years after they hadn't even graduated and they're getting offers to leave to go work in Silicon Valley. What in the world is going on? Tell us what's happening here. This, this is just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, if you think about how connected we are these days, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting, I, I, I always joke to, and tell my mom that I'm probably going to get taken out by AI or a drone because I'm just an early adopter with uh, with tech. And I'm sitting around surrounded by smart lights and Bluetooth headphones and wireless everything. And it's all collecting data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just serving a function. It's all collecting data. Um, and even with us recording this podcast, we're creating data. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only the, the actual audio and things like that, but the metadata, the location tags, the fact that the two of us connected, um, you know, twice over the last couple of weeks, um, that's a data point, you know, and uh, the cadence of speech that we have, like those are the types of things that they can map on the back end and then start to essentially draw larger conclusions about um, advertising and society and things like that. And so I, I think that like, basically the reason why all of this revolution has happened is because of Moore's Law, which basically states that like every year the rate of computation kind of doubles. Um, and so basically what that just means is that computers can like remember more stuff and process more stuff. So imagine having um, access to literally everything that you've ever seen and been exposed to in your brain um, and having it readily accessible. Um, and then like people working to make you be able to fit more in your brain and then other people working to make that accessible and more um in quick ways and in more kind of matrixed ways as well. And that's essentially how we've gotten data science, where we have more ways to store data, we have more ways to codify data and information. So data is not just numbers, it's not just ones and zeros, um, it's not just spreadsheets and things like that. It's also video, it's also audio. Um, you know, natural language processing is a whole field of data science. Um, you know, computer vision is a whole field of data science, which maps to facial recognition and things like that. Um, you know, the fact that like you can ask new questions like instead of just looking at um, economic GDP um, to kind of look at the economic predictors of a recession you can actually look at satellite images of shipping containers moving out of China Mm -hmm. and kind of you know map that to its usual um, like progression and movement across the decades and things like that and then start to make predictive trends and so it's it's just an interesting time Um, and it's also interesting because we haven't figured out what we believe about privacy, at least not in the United States yet either. And so um, I know that there's really a, a big debate right now with Apple. I'm an iPhone user, and I've um, early adopted into the beta of the new operating system, and it tells you every time something is copied and pasted from an app. Um, it gives you a little push notification, and it's actually kind of creepy. And I know Facebook is pushing back on that now, um, and they just were in a, a, a hearing with Congress on Wednesday of this week trying to figure that stuff out. And they're afraid that Apple is going to break their ad revenue model because they're telling us what Facebook is copying and tracking from us. And so they're afraid that when we see it, they know we'll be afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so it's just kind of interesting that we have all these parallel conversations that are happening where we're experiencing a lot of convenience in the way that we interact with the world because of automation, because of technology, because of machine learning and things like that. But also we are ceding our rights to privacy Mm -hmm. um, digitally. And I think that that's like loosening our minds to just privacy in general. Um, And yeah, I don't don't know. Like it's an interesting time. I mean, obviously I'm, a hopeful optimistic person mm-hmm. and so i also see a lot of upsides for it um as well we have opportunities to do precision medicine mm-hmm. um where instead of like just getting a prescription that is a generic prescription for 10 milligrams of whatever like maybe based on your dna makeup and your biochemistry you need a specific cocktail of three milligrams plus seven milligrams of something else like we'll be able to make those types mm-hmm. of recommendations yep. 10 20 years from now um and we're also looking at actually defining what health is for the first time which is exciting because right now our only relationship to health is when we don't have it um or when it when it's yeah. like unhealth um or not good health but we don't actually know how to define a healthy person like we can loosely say you know like you you run marathons i would argue that yeah. you're a healthy person mm-hmm. um but we don't know that necessarily normed against like an entire population so google is doing project baseline where they're defining health um through their life sciences company mm-hmm. called verily um so things like that are happening where we're asking completely new questions um which is fascinating you know mm-hmm. people are able to look at um uh, brain scans and and scans of of, of of tumors and things like that through computers now and imagine if a doctor was looking at 30 of them in a day um they're definitely going to degrade in their ability to be able to assess those things because their eyes are going to get tired. A computer's eyes are never going to get tired, yeah. and they can read more than thirty. Right. Um, you know, and so and they're more accurate. They're things. more accurate than doctors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they're not getting tired. Mm-hmm. They, there's not that fatigue. They can pick up on more mm-hmm. nuance. Mm-hmm. They can see more color bands and things like that. And it's fascinating. And so it also means that we're creating a world where you do have to be more aware of how to integrate and leverage technology in your work. Otherwise, it's just going to be outsourced to technology because why, why wouldn't it be unless someone was just benevolent and wanted to spend more money on paying a human to do it? But like, why would they want to do that? Mm-hmm. You know? um, and, and so that's, that's one of those things that I struggle with as well because as a career services professional and a professional counselor by training, I mean, I love to see people pursue things that they're passionate about and in. And I, I I don't love when people kind of resign themselves to making decisions based on pure practicality mm-hmm. when if that's not how they usually make decisions. Like it's one thing if you're just like a super practical person, but if if you know that you're passionate about pursuing a career in something, but you know that there's more money in a different career field, mm-hmm. um, and you feel like there's not even a chance for you to pursue the thing you're passionate about because the way that we're going is just so pragmatic and so technical that like you just have to give up you know, the life that you want to live, that's like kind of depressing to me yeah. a little bit. And so it's also a part of why I'm like, so passionate about talking about these sorts of things with people who are not technologists because I just want to get them more aware of what we are capable of, where we're headed right now, um, technologically and economically Mm -hmm. and in terms of jobs and things like that. And then reminding them that nothing is inevitable 
like we don't have to go that way mm -hmm. um we have an opportunity to create the version of the future we want but the only way we can do that is if people are engaged in the conversation and the only way they can be engaged in the conversation is to know what's even happening right you know and so that's why i just get on soapboxes all the time basically well, that's a, it's a brilliant insight, Reggie, because you're, you're, you're so spot on there. It, it, having people understand what's going on and then be involved in the conversation, uh, speaking about it, which goes back to my earlier point of uh, let's have open dialogue. Let's have discussion. What, what, what should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? There's um, it, it, you, you very artfully highlighted all the positives there's so many positives of this of rapid advancement that we're having right now and there re there really are there's and, and and you can see technologists that kind of get on either side of the line you know some have this dystopian fear of the future of like the robots are just going to kill us all and this is awful and then you have all these others that have a more of a utopian view of it's like this is unbelievable the lifespan's going to increase look at all the things we're going to be able to do and and so there's there's very diametrically opposed opinions on this, but there are pros and cons with this advancement. We're living at a time where we are advancing um, faster than any other point in human history. And I think that that discombobulation uh, is causing uncomfort, which I believe is also causing a lot of the, the uh, um, is exacerbating the civil unrest. People feel uncomfortable. They the, the world is moving so much more rapidly. They don't have enough time to change. And so people are just like, what's going on? Where's my place in the world? Where, right? And so it's it's causing- Well, our you, systems haven't changed yeah. either. Like, I mean, we so we see how rapidly the world is changing, but nothing about the way that we've engaged with it up to this point has changed along with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, like e e even thinking about universities and things like that. I mean, the fact that like new coding languages are literally created, you know, like I, I remember when Apple made Swift a coding language and that was the new language to, mm -hmm. to make apps for the app store. And, mm -hmm. and the first thing that I thought was like, how much would it suck to have just graduated with a, gra a degree in computer science, learned JavaScript and Ruby on Rails and all of these other things, and then Apple said, no, we're not using that. We made up a thing. Yeah. Like, and, like, and now oh you goodness. have to learn something that like they don't even teach or mm -hmm. didn't teach at that mm -hmm. time in universities in order to get a job. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, Four I, years, $100,000 of student loan debt, and you're like, I got to start over. Yes. And then learn this thing that's free? Mm -hmm. Like, are yes. you serious? Um, and I think that to your point, I think that that's where a lot of the unrest is coming from, too, where um, I think we've we've been kind of taught how to play the game of life, so to speak, and the rules keep changing. Mm -hmm. um, like now, I mean, they're, they're just everything is just completely different about all the things that we've been taught, mm -hmm. and we're not being told the new rules either, and like people are just basically... I think it's, you know, why we're, we're having our first trillion dollar companies and things like mm -hmm. that in the history of, you know, our, our country and our world and things like that, because there are abilities to exploit um, kind of cracks in the system or, or not necessarily cracks in the system, but more so to, to leverage like your expertise mm -hmm. over people in a disproportionate way because so many things have changed and so few people have been invited into that change. Um, and so I think that basically technologists are just building a future that they mm -hmm. want to live in. Mm -hmm. And 
keep kind of shifting the boundary marker of what it takes to participate in building that future with them. And the only way that you can be a part of that future is to help them build that version of the future, um, as opposed to like new systems being created. So new academic systems in terms of like even um, education from like early childhood mm -hmm. through high school and things like that, because right now all of that stuff is geared to set you up to go to college. Um, really, it's not really vocational training, not really professional development or kind of life skills that you need um, to succeed in the workforce. And then when you get to college, a lot of that stuff is not teaching you the cutting edge stuff um, to get into some of the more nuanced areas where growth is happening in career fields. And it just feels like every system that we go through is like still just not enough. And it's like you sprinted super hard to catch the bus. And then all of a sudden, the bus changed its time schedule. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah. I just exhausted all yeah. of my energy to get here. And that was the only way that I could get to the next point. And you just left mm -hmm. and like didn't tell me what I'm supposed to do now. Yeah. I think that that's how people feel. Well, and you, you highlighted a second ago, you said, well, maybe there's cracks in the system. And you said, well, maybe, and I think you. I think you hit the nail on the head. There are cracks in the system. And I, I would say, you, you, as you were mentioning, oh, we've got some of our very first trillion-dollar companies, and we're, we're highlighting Moore's Law and how rapidly the world's changing. I think technology and the advancements of uh, portions of our economic system are changing so rapidly that government and laws and regulation and protections, um, social systems. Our education system has not been able to change rapidly enough to stay abreast of what's happening. It's it what allowed Facebook to grow. There should be a, a hundred different laws in place right now protecting against things that are going on at Facebook. I think Facebook potentially is... Um, one of the biggest threats to modern society and, and, and that's not being addressed. I had somebody was, you know, on Facebook uh, just yesterday, uh, someone I, that I admire and respect and say, hey, what are, what are the biggest fears that we should be concerned about over the next 10 years? And at the top of my mind, I was like, uh, Facebook? I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's being, yeah. you're, you're right. I mean, they, they're, it, it, they're fostering civil unrest. They're, they're in this, they're, it's being manipulated to create uh, within the elections and things like that. But it, it, go, it goes to your point, these cracks in the system, they're allowing this to take place that it's we're not addressing it quick enough uh so i, I think you're spot on i want to circle back around on another point uh that you you highlighted earlier um with the advancement of all of this technology uh, i've heard uh individuals say and th this would be you know um professors at universities have said, you know what, the, the old system was that you would come to a university and it was the memorization. Right? And, and one, of the, one of the differences between an American university right now and in some of the things that are going on in China is they, they said, you know, China is still kind of in that old school of like, we're just, you're going to come in and you're, we're just going to like drill this in, you're going to memorize all this stuff. He said, any, any university that is just focused on rote memorization, it, it, you're wasting your time. You don't need it. You, you carry around in your hip pocket, the work, the all the information of the globe at, at, at your yeah. fingertips, and what universities seem to be focused on right now are, are teaching you the skills of how to learn, uh, cre uh, teaching creativity, um, yeah. uh, teaching uh, human relations, and and, and the ha having emotional intelligence and EQ. 
these types of things that can't be automated that are going to be very valuable in the new economy. Can you speak to what you see in that respect? Because there's there are uh, spots in this new economy that are extremely valuable that will not be able to be automated, where, you, where, where it's relationship-focused, having a, a great emotional intelligence, being able to to learn and, and, and think. Where, where should people be focused right now if they're like, I want to I um, uh, strengthen my tool belt or have the, the proper tools in my tool belt for me to be successful in this new economy that's growing around me? Yeah. I mean, my mind was going to you. You said the word strengthen, and and I would say that that's that's the word. Like strengthen, strengthen, and practicing um, are the two like things that kind of come to mind. So I think that like we, the way to be great at something is to practice something, and. I think that a lot of times we think about practicing skills that are maybe hard skills, quote unquote. Um, but we don't often think about practicing things like resilience or um, kind of the idea of having enough. Um, we don't we don't practice uh, being uncomfortable um, and learning how to operate in discomfort. We don't we don't seek out those types of experiences, nor do we actually fully exist presently in them while we experience them. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we've learned anything during this pandemic um, and the unrest on top of it and like so many world leaders dying in the midst of it, either through COVID or through other things and murder hornets and you name it. Like, yeah. I mean, everything is like just compounding on itself. Yeah, Ch China seeds and the showing up in the mail this week. It's like every day I turn around, there's like some new apocalypse on it. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk magic beans showing up all over America, murder hornets, you know. <laughs> It's insane. It's unreal. But what it shows is that we can't plan for the future. You know, like as much as we try, our best laid plans are just kind of laid to waste, honestly, um, when something like this happens. And so resilience is never going to be a bad thing to, to practice. Um, learning how to learn is never going to be a bad thing to pay attention to. Um, you, you mentioned mental models a little bit earlier in passing. That's one of my favorite concepts and I've, I've been reading Shane Parrish's The Great Mental Models book and I love it. He talks about Asian statistics. He talks about like just different types of models for learning and, for, and integrating information and I think that like paying attention to how you learn and coming up with decision-making frameworks or at least learning how to make decisions is going to be a huge skill going forward because we're going to have to keep reskilling. So how the heck are you going to do that? How are you going to choose what skills you want to learn? How are you going to choose what you want to focus on? You know, you're, those are going to be questions mm -hmm. that you're going to keep having to answer. Mm -hmm. And if you keep approaching it like it's a new question, even though you know you're going to keep having to answer it, you're only doing yourself a disservice. So that's what I mean by practicing some of those types of things. Mm -hmm. I think that those are the kind of unsexy um recommendations that I would give is more so like practice practice those fundamentals um, of like learning how to make decisions, learning how to learn, paying attention to what you value, um, and fully investing yourself in whatever opportunity you're in now. 
Um, and what I mean by that is becoming as consummate of a professional in it as you can. So likely there's a professional association for your field. Likely there are thought leaders in your field. Likely there are people who have written books and things like that. Like learn about what you're doing. Like most people just do their jobs, mm -hmm. but they never think about their jobs. And I think that's what separates professionals from people who just do stuff. <laughs> um, you know, is that professionals like kind of have a, a position. They have an opinion on why they're doing the things that they're doing. They um, they are able to make decisions and pr produce ideas or present ideas because they also know the context with which they're working in. And so I would say, you know, invest in becoming a professional in your field, um, you know, and, and things like that. In addition to the things that I mentioned before, like, you know, learning how you learn and, and kind of creating decision-making frameworks. And things. That's what I would say. Uh, that's great insight. You, you know, what, what would be some practical tips that you would give somebody who is, say, um, mid-career and is wanting to reskill? You know, at the at the top of the program, you were talking about there's the, these new discussions. Universities are talking about, um, you know, new degree programs for mid-career professionals. Uh, we're going to be living longer. Our careers are going to be much longer than what they used to be. It, it, it's, it's, it's comical when I hear, you know, people talking about the retirement age of 65, and I realize that generation it's like well, you know, expected life expectancy is now gonna it's gonna be well over a hundred here for my, my kids generation, right? And you know, uh, people are gonna be working. You've got politicians who are working into their seventies and eighties. You know, are, everything's changing. How does a what are practical tips to get back to the question? What are the practical tips you would give a mid career professional to to reskill or to upskill and just and just and to stay plugged in? Yeah, I think part of that is a little bit of what I was alluding to, uh, alluding to about professional associations with where they are now. So I think that's a good place to start is like basically finding out what the associations or um, kind of what are the people in your field talking about now? Um, what are the emerging trends? And then how might you adapt some of those mm -hmm. things into your work? Um, does that mean you go to a conference and you do an in-service training or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, for continuing education units? Or does that mean you find a MOOC or a massive open online mm -hmm. course or like some kind of Skillshare course or, or something like that to, to learn a skill on? Um, also, I thought that I've been having is to maybe think through what some adjacent career paths are to what you're doing now. So for instance, for me, an adjacent career path might be a student, um, like a, an academic advising kind of role. Mm -hmm. It might be working as a recruiter in a corporate setting. Um, it also might be doing business development um, and sales, like in an organization. It also might just be being a founder because I was the first person to start this career services shop um, in our school um, and things like that. And so thinking about things like that and that are kind of adjacent to your field or proximate to your field and then thinking through some of the ones that might be interesting and you thinking that it might be interesting is not you committing to changing your career. Mm -hmm. It's just you thinking it might be interesting. Right. So don't be afraid to commit to thinking that something's interesting. That doesn't mean that you're abandoning what you've been right. doing. Um, and then when you when you have some things that you're interested in, um, you know, explore them. Explore them some. Yeah. Just click around yeah. some job titles that, um, you know, relate to those things. Then click around some LinkedIn 
profiles and see what people's career paths are. Perhaps you set up an informational interview and just chat with someone about what they're up to and things like that. Um, I think those are a couple of like tactical ways to start exploring what you're interested in. And then there are always a bevy of resources um, to actually learn the skills that you need. Um, I, frankly, I, I'm trying to figure out, um, and maybe you'll have some suggestions for me, I'm trying to figure out how um, to just bone up on some business skills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, just frankly, I, I have like, um, oh, what's the book called? I, I forget what it's called. It's a very thick book that's essentially an MBA in a book, mm-hmm. which obviously is not an MBA in a book, but that's how it brands yeah. itself. Um, and so it just teaches you basics of finance and, and things like that and all the different aspects of business. But I really um, want to learn just some fundamentals about uh how to become better at understanding the work that I do in a holistic context so that if I were to build out um, a scaled version of career services, like how might I do that well? And also in a way that's transferable outside of higher ed and outside of career services. I think that's why I mm-hmm. want to learn about business because, and maybe that's another practical tip too, mm-hmm. is like always be thinking three steps ahead. So don't just think about like what you can do in your job now. Um, think about like what you can do in your job now that's not going to lock you into only being able to do that job. Mm-hmm. Like what are the skills that you can learn that will help you in your job, but that can also help you in something else. Right. Um, and so like I, I've also been like obsessed with learning about um, products. Um, and, and so essentially like product management, product design, and trying to think through um, some of my ideas for career services and delivering them like they were a product and mm-hmm. setting up a Trello Kanban board and things like that mm-hmm. just to kind of practice some product and project management and things like that. You know, So I, I think that those are a couple yeah. of, of ways that you can kind of leverage where you're at um, you know, to, to hopefully, um, open up some more doors mm-hmm. as well. Well, I, I think that's brilliant uh, of what you're doing. I'll, I'll share with you, uh, some advice that I, I have been giving, uh, people that I'm mentoring and especially, uh, young college students who are kind of coming up through the ranks. Um, I, yeah, I've given this to my, my own kids and I, I practice it myself. Um, so I, I think it's extremely important to know where you are strong, where your strengths are, but also where you, you uh, need to get uh, get stronger, right? Where are the weak points? And there'll be times I'll take stock and be like, ah, oh, you know what? I, you know, I, I know I've got uh, a, a great education, a whole host of different areas, but I, I've, you know, what? I ne- I've never really read on this particular topic, or I feel like I'm a little bit weak here. I don't have the mastery of this particular subject that I would like. Whether and it could be, you know, in finance or it could be in accounting. And if I if I know that and I know that that's going to be extremely important for my role, one of the things that I've found very beneficial is going out to Coursera. And I have been amazed at the, the, the education programs on Coursera that you can get and you, from world-class universities, University of Michigan, the University of Virginia, Dartmouth, you name it. And you can be taking an accounting course, a finance course, an investment course, uh, all sorts of programming courses. And at the end of it, have a certification. It costs you, thir- you know, sometimes if you don't want the actual certification you can put on your resume, it's free. But if you want to actually have the test to go along the way and get the certification, sometimes it's 30 or 40 bucks. I've taken a handful of those courses. I'll tell uh, young co- young college kids, because, you know, look, you, you know this as a college administrator, there's a lot of free time when you're in college, right? It's They're not wor- they're not working 80-hour weeks. I said, look, you want to get ahead of your competitors? I'll tell you what you do. You're going to walk into a job interview, 
you're going to be sitting down next to somebody, and you're going to say, hey, uh, hey, congratulations, you've got your four-year degree from XYZ University. And then you're going to sit there and say, hey, not only do I have my college degree, but I went out and I talked to somebody who was 10 years, 15 years down the path in my career field. I asked them, what is it that you are currently doing in your career field that they didn't teach you in college? What are the skills, the things that you wish you would have learned in college that you did not get in college that you are using every single day that is absolutely critical for the success in your career? I said, what I want you to do is in your free time, while you're going to college, you go out to Coursera and you get two or, you know, get those certifications. Because now you're sitting down with the with the interviewer and saying, I know exactly what I need to be to be successful in this. Not only do I have my certification, my undergraduate degree, but I went out and I, I talked to a leader. This is what they told me. And I've, boom, 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 I've got all these. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. You're Boom, you're, hi, you're hired, right? I like that. And I, I have a follow-up question for you then. Um, maybe because this is a unique opportunity where we're having a conversation about the future of higher education and college and you're a parent of a college student Mm -hmm. and you're also an advocate for learning things outside of the classroom like i'm curious if you are in the minority or if you're the majority of your friends with like kids in college who are okay with paying how much college costs and suggesting that your kid do something on top of it or is that something that you think is something that the college should be doing? Uh, oh, you're talking about paying for courses above and beyond. Yeah, and, and more so even even if they were free. Like the fact that as much as college costs, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I mean, it, I, I, I'm curious about that because – we also run into that with students where students are, are, are just exhausted and mm-hmm. exasperated and are just like, I worked my butt off to mm-hmm. get into this university mm-hmm. and I'm working my butt off in this university and you're telling me that I have to work my butt off like to do something else mm-hmm. to actually get a job like so that I can retire and no right. longer work my butt off. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so I also wonder, and I know that parents struggle with that as well, right. where it's like, you know, what are you going to do for my student, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, who we're paying a lot of this money for? Um, yeah, so I, I'm curious to hear because I'm, I'm definitely on the same train as you mm-hmm. with the skill development and things like that. But I'm also curious as to if you think that's okay or if you think that that's a direction that, you know, um, universities should move in. Right. Well, I, I, I've, I guess I have a, a, a multitude of opinions on this. And so, since we we talked about earlier that colleges and universities are not adapting quick enough, it takes right. It takes forever for them to in, uh, bring a new course or a new degree program. They got to go through all this, you know, certification to get it done. And the world's changing rapidly. So I'm trying to teach my kids and people that I mentor and coach to be like, you've got to be at the cutting edge. You got to do whatever you've got to do to be successful. And so we, I, I intuitively know colleges are already going to be somewhat out of date. A little bit, right? You're not, they're not going to be. And, um, you know, when a professor at Harvard says that your college education has a shelf life of three years because the world's changing so rapidly, um, that should be a wake-up call for everybody. And his point was you need to be a lifelong learner. Be curious. Be constantly learning. So I'm trying to drill that into my kids and, uh, and folks that I'm uh, mentoring. Um, 
So do I wish that all colleges would just, you know, my daughter or people be able to go there and get what they need? And it was, it, yeah, I, yes, I wish, but I know that that's not the world that I live in. Um, sure. So I realized that I've got to, you know, adapt and overcome. Um, and here's why I don't get upset. I don't get upset by the fact that my daughter is going to have to go above and beyond. I remember um, a, a mentor of mine very, very early in my career said, Bob, you know what? To be successful in life, it's really easy because a vast majority of people are willing to do the bare minimum to get by. They're willing to be average. They're not a willing to go above and beyond. And so if you're willing to go above and beyond and work hard, you're, you're, you, now you're competing with just a very small uh, amount of people who are willing to do the extra. That's why it's so easy to be, you know, a success and uh, be successful in life. And so I look at it, be like, if, if all colleges were doing it, then everybody's going to be graduating equal footing. And I'm yeah. honestly, I'm just, I'm just being truthful. I'm always looking for how can I have an edge? How can I have a competitive advantage? When I was an athlete, I wanted a competitive advantage. I wanted to make sure I was wearing the right shoes. I was have the right diet. I look at it as this is when I'm doing this, this gives me a competitive advantage. I want my daughter to walk into that interview and have a competitive advantage over. There's going to be thousands of people interviewing for that job. How does she set herself above and apart from everybody else? If everybody else is willing to walk in there and say, hey, this is what I did in college. I say, Tris, you've got to figure out how you're extra. You've got to figure out how you've done extra. You've done extra work. You've got these extra certifications. You've done the internship. And yeah, it, it does it, it. Yeah, people are working their tail off. But uh, I if you want to be successful in life, you've got to figure out how you are going to go above and beyond. And the vast majority of people are not willing, are not willing to put the time. That, that my opinion of a, a vast majority yeah. of people are just like, can, no, can, can give me just, can I just, I, I just want to do the required reading, the required coursework. I want to do the basics. I just want to, you know, I want to check the box. I want to, you know, I want to get my degree and move on. Be like, okay, that's great. But for the people who want to be successful, looking for those extra those extra things, I think it sets them yeah. apart. So I don't know that. No, that makes sense, and that's great. And I, I'm also curious to know if you if, do you experience other parents thinking the same way or thinking along the same lines, um, just kind of anecdotally from the folks that you know. I don't. I, I I'll have a I have a conversation. And they're like, well, I'm writing a check. You know, I'm sending my kid to school and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, what else are they doing? Uh, it's very rare that I'm hearing, you know, people talking about the extra, right? And I, I can take a look at it in my business, right? I, I have conversations with people all day long. People tell me about their goals, their dreams, their hopes, all this type of stuff. And I can tell the people who are, are actually doing it and those who aren't. There's a big difference between talk and action, right? There's a whole bunch of people who say, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm looking, I'm looking for who are the people who are doing the extra. And you know what? It's the people who are doing the extra that are always at the top of the charts, m making rank advancements, moving on, right? And you just yeah. it, it, you distinguish yourself very quickly by wh whether you're willing to be a little extra. Yeah, that makes sense. So you know, one of the things that we're for me who wants to help people in my company be uh, be extra, go the extra mile. One of the things that we've created, we created we, uh, the the brand is the New Way MBA. It's an education training system specifically for uh, our leadership team, and we have you know audios and teachings that come out each and every week. So and they they're able to plug in with uh, mentors. Uh, but the the thing I love about it is they have the ability to be 
able to uh, practice on a, a daily and weekly basis the, the, the concepts and the things that we're teaching. Also be able to plug back in, you know, do uh, an analysis. Hey, how's it working? How are you doing? Where are you strong? Where can you get stronger? Uh, plug in with that mentor. Uh, a lot of reading. We have a book of the month program and books that will kind of come down and say, hey, you need to understand this. These are the concepts. A lot of stuff um, being focused on relationship, um, relationship development, emotional intelligence. We want to bring in thought leaders like yourself. Um, uh, other people that can speak and help them keep their finger on the pulse. Um, what other things do you think that we should be incorporating into this new way MBA? Any any ideas? Well, um, that's. I mean, I, I I would be remiss to say data data analysis, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, just or data literacy at least, and, and the ability to be able to read charts and and kind of form questions in a way that are actually analyzable, where you mm -hmm. can actually collect data on them and make decisions based on on that. Um, so that would be one thing. Um, let's see. Yeah, I. You kind of put me on the spot. Yeah, there. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and it's so, admittedly, and this and is I'm, a I'm usually game that you put on the spot. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and admittedly, it's a uh, an education system uh, tailored for a a sales force, very very relational. And it's one of the things that I love about this aspect that no matter what industry that you're in. I believe it, 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 you see that there is, they've, they've been able to automate a whole bunch of things, but you have not been able to automate human to human contact and interaction and engagement. Uh, sales training uh, is still the, the, the backbone of any growing business within the United States. It's needed everywhere you go. So if you become world class at sales and relationships and emotional intelligence and learn those types of things, it, it, it will uh, travel with you no matter where you're at in life, no matter what career field that you're in. So I think it's one of those incredible skill sets to have. So we're just trying to help our people to uh, be super strong in those particular areas. And yeah, so if you've got any recommendations or things that you see uh, in the future, please let me know. I will. And and a book that comes to mind is a little, it's so there two books come to mind. Um, they're a little bit loosely related, but um, I, I don't know if you've read uh, what's, what's it called? The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, um, his newer book. Um, and it's incredible. He essentially juxtaposes um, finite games and infinite games. And he essentially kind of looks at, uh, it, or it, it's a concept I forget who created, but a, a finite game is something like basketball where you know what the rules are you know whose team um is on you know who is on whose team you know how to score a point and you know how to end the game um and so there are rules for that In infinite games don't have those sorts of things infinite games are things like life um or even a business for instance mm -hmm. like your infinite games your goal is to perpetuate the game mm -hmm. um not necessarily to to win in the game mm -hmm. um so to speak and so um I, I think that it's a really interesting framing around how to think through problems because it's it, it reminds me it when i was reading through it it was reminding me of how i was interacting with my work when i first encountered design thinking mm -hmm. and how it helped me reframe problems and questions and ask questions that that gave that necessarily gave me completely different answers mm -hmm. than the, the more closed questions that I was asking before. And in a similar way, it's helped me to reframe a lot of encounters or problems that I'll face at work or challenges that I'll face at work as 
you know, something that's more of an infinite game rather than a finite game. Um, I don't think that I'm doing a, a great job of kind of describing how it would map onto a mm-hmm. business process, but I think it's a book worth looking into. Yeah, um, and then the other one is called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Um, and she, um, I, my mind was blown when I found out that her partner was Anand Jiradar Das, who wrote uh, Winners Take All. Um, which is a fascinating book um, about billionaires and things like that. But The Art of Gathering, one of the the things that I took from it is it's really about not just event planning, but just getting people together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there's a lot of relational aspect in that. But one of the things that I love that she talks about is that like anything that you plan should have a disputable purpose. And so if you just get people together to say, oh, we're just hanging out, like that's not really a compelling reason for a lot of people to show up. But if you kind of take a position on something um, like this is going to be the best event that you've ever come to, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's kind of crazy, but like you took a position, yeah. you know? And so um, there, there are a lot of little insights like that, um, that kind of help. And so one, so one of the examples that she gave was um, dinner and block. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's kind of this worldwide movement where um, you, you have to get invited to come to a dinner. You get the invitation the night before um, of where the dinner is going to be. You bring your own table. Like you, br- you have to dress in white. There's a dress code. Um, and basically there are all of these rules centered around um, like how you have to interact in order to participate in this dinner. And she kind of gave that as an example of why it always sells out immediately and why it has such a cult following because people like things that are well-defined enough to uh, be able to understand and wrap their minds around um, versus things that are a little bit more open-ended and things like that. So I I just think that there are a lot of principles that, um, again, I'm I'm not quite landing the plane with how those things connect with sales or business, but if we had a little bit more time to kind of banter back and forth a little bit, I think I could tease it out. But I think that like, you would probably see a lot of connections okay. in these books um, to some of the things that you all are talking about. And so those are the two books that come to mind. Well, I love book recommendations. And those are two that I they, they weren't even remotely on my radar, never even heard of them. So that, that, that's awesome. I can't wait to go out and get them. I'm, I'm definitely going to read them. Well, speaking, you know, you're talking about the art of gathering and, and, and people coming together. In this time, where so many people feel isolated. I, I, I'm hearing that, you know, that there's, you know, depression is increasing, you know, the, uh, anxiety is increasing, you know, people are struggling through this pandemic, uh, people who have been isolated and locked at home. You know, our company is um, a, a, a big part of it is community, bringing people together, having community. And, you know, there we, we've had events that were scheduled that we weren't able to hold, and we're trying to hold uh, uh, um, online gatherings via Zoom and build community. What what are you doing at the a university level, and do you have any insights or any ideas that the, to, to help, you know, keep people connected and, and to keep building community? I mean, we've got entrepreneurs that have their own communities, right? They're trying to bring these people sure. together uh, in, their, in their local community. You know, any insights there? Yeah, I mean that's we're doing a lot of similar things. So we've we've had book club discussions with our students that are led by faculty, um, and and these are not classes. Um, these are just kind of external things where mm-hmm. students are able to engage in topics that are very relevant but not necessarily a part of the curriculum. Things like that. So we've had things like that. We've had Zoom happy hours. Um, we've had Zoom uh, scavenger hunts and that are so there are organizations mm-hmm. that actually host virtual events that you can pay to come 
come in and do things just like team building activities oh, wow. and things like that. And so we've leveraged some of that. Um, and uh, so I, I'd encourage you to look okay. into some of that kind of stuff too. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and then we've done like zoom bingo, um, you know, where it's like, you know, if someone says neural network, um, in your breakout group, then like put an X down there or something like that. Okay. Just kind of, you know, data sciencey types of things. So we've done that sort of thing. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm actually wanting to, uh, to have a DJ, um, like kind of during one of the breaks in one of our events um, so that folks don't log off of Zoom. I want like a 15-minute break, but instead mm -hmm. of that being a reason for someone to just try to sneak out mm -hmm. digitally, like I want to have a DJ just kind of DJing in between the break and say like, go make your coffee to some music in the background. So thinking through things like that. Um, yeah, I might even have a Zoom brunch. I talked to the same DJ about potentially having him DJ um, a, a virtual brunch so that people are going to have music to kind of talk or cook through and everything. Um, so yeah, those are those are some of the ways that I've been experiencing it. And then of course, some social distance um, hangouts with, with folks that I'm closer to, um, where we just kind of sit a little bit distanced apart. Sometimes we wear masks if we're a little bit closer um, and things like that. So yeah, those are some ways that we've been connecting at yeah. the school. And then those are some ways that I've been personally uh, connecting as well. I love your idea of a DJ. I've got uh, a good friend of mine up in Vancouver who's an up-and-coming DJ. I'll put you in touch with him. So if you're looking for somebody who's nice. talented, who's rising yeah. through the charts, uh, okay. and, and he, he's a uh, CEO by trade, but he's like taken on this new career, mid-career. Mid he's like, you know what? I, I, and he's always had this kind of like uh, secret passion on the side, and all of a sudden yeah. he's gone public with it. And I mean, he's I didn't know that there was like these charts for DJs, but apparently there are and he's ri rising through the charts and I've, I've watched some of his uh shows uh via zoom i'm like and I, and I start piping the music through the house i'm like this is yeah. awesome i love it <laughs> so I love i'll put you in i'll put you in touch with them well yeah, reggie say we have an international dj there you go <laughs> straight from vancouver canada right yeah, um yeah he's great stuff um so you've, you've already given us some really good books uh, one of the things that I've always enjoyed as when I chat with you is uh, you are a voracious reader. What what other um, things would you recommend for any of our listeners? You know, I know uh, whether it's uh, a podcast, whether it's a blog, uh, anything that you find to be insightful and helpful during these times. Mm, yeah, I, I really enjoy um, the A16Z podcast by Andreessen Horowitz. Um, I, I love that podcast. It's fascinating. Um, I love the Disrupt Yourself podcast by Whitney Johnson, um, another incredible podcast. She just has the most fascinating interviews. Mm. Um, also, um, the Entrepreneurial Thought Leaders, um, which is a Stanford podcast. Mm -hmm. That's another one that I love. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through my podcast now. Um, I, I, of course, I have to shout out the HBR Idea Cast. There you go. Thank you for putting that in there. If you're going to mention Stanford, you better put in Harvard, right? <laughs> yeah, true, true. I know. Unfortunately, I don't have a one to shout out. Um, and then I also really like Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman. So, I mean, the obviously, these are, these are pretty... Um, you know, one one track. I, I love mm -hmm. business and tech podcasts, and mm -hmm. so and I also would add the uh, Smart People podcast as well um, by John and Chris. I don't know what their last names are. <laughs> Just yeah. oh, Chris Stem. That's okay. his name. That's Chris's last name. Um, yeah, those are some of my favorite podcasts. Um, 
Yeah, and I'm trying to think about blogs. I newsletters actually. I really like Exponential View by Azim Azar. Okay. Um, he was a partner over at uh, Andreessen Horowitz for a while, and he just curates some really fascinating content um, where he has these different sections about AI um, and about uh, environmental issues and, and all types of things. And he okay. just does a really good job at curating content around what's next. Um, so that's another uh, medium too. And if folks um, like reading articles and things like that, newsletters are super cool ways to find curated content. And Substack is like such a great platform um, to find newsletters through. Um, so I would recommend checking out Substack and finding out some finding some newsletters on Substack as well. Great. Yeah, I will definitely do that. Um, Reggie, you know, I, I'm, we're sitting here. I'm looking at the, the, the time. We've been going for about an hour and 25 minutes, 26 minutes. And yeah, it's it feels like it's been five minutes. I've had so much fun talking with you. And I've probably got three hours more worth of questions and insights I'd like to glean from you. And it's, I always love being in the presence of an intellectual and someone who is at the forefront of their industry and their career field. Because like uh, the, the conversation conversation could just go on forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. I just want to say uh, thank you. Uh, we, we went down a number of different rabbit trails. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, some social issues on comp college campuses. We talked about education and, of course, all the data science. Uh, maybe uh, final any final words of wisdom for uh, our listeners? And I, I would hope that we'd love to have you come back and talk about, you know, more issues of the day. I think that there's a lot of uh, information that you could share with our group, but any more maybe words of wisdom for you as before, before we part? I guess there, there's always potential to be cultivated, mm -hmm. but now we're actually questioning systems. We are building new systems we have a lot more on-ramps to participating mm -hmm. in building things. Um, so all of the non-traditional types of education that we talked mm -hmm. about, skill development, et cetera. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a lot of capital or even social capital to be able to pay for or even get recommendation letters to get into a university. I mean, there, there's just so many things that are changing at the same time that create so much opportunity for people to be part of writing our future. And so, um, there's so much more to see. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just hope that people um, stop and pay attention to that. And I would encourage people to do that. Like pay attention to what's changing around you mm -hmm. and feel free to be freaked out by it because it can be scary. But then remember that like none of it is inevitable and that there's so much more to see and that you can play a part in building a future. And so just I, I'd love for, for folks to just I, I'd love to encourage folks to just stop and realize like the opportunity that a lot of this change mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, kind of unveiling and things right. like that. So that's what I would say. I would say that there's so much more to see and there, that nothing is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a, a conference I was at, uh, I think about a year ago in uh, Park City, Utah, and it, it was a vigorous debate with a number of technologists on whether technology was good or bad, uh, whether it was inherently good or whether it was evil. And there was vigorous, you know, debate and discussion on this. And, um, you know, one Silicon Valley leader, you know, stood up and, and said, you know, it's like, you know, technology is neither good nor bad. It's all, it all depends on whose hands it's in and how it's used. And, you know, we just, we need people who are stepping into the forefront that understand it uh, and understand you know, the, the values of society and help craft and uh, regulate 
regulation um, to ensure that it is you know used the right way. Um, yeah. So it, it, I would say I, I'm, I'm hoping that people are inspired today by uh, hearing uh, words that you've shared, your viewpoints and your insights and want to help craft that dialogue and be a part of that you know debate not a uh, 125 uh, character tweet or a you know a, a, a two-minute uh, vid Facebook video uh, we're talking more nuanced more substantive uh, a debate uh, on that particular issue and and I guess it would be maybe irresponsible of me to not also ask you this final question um, with, with all of the you know social unrest and things that are going on in our society, and it feels like there's people on both sides that have um, that are inciting, right? Inciting, um, you know, negative viewpoints. Uh, how for people who want to be a part of a um, substantive and nuanced discussion to be a good citizen and to um, win friends, to use the, 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 the adage, win friends and influence people to, 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 make, to make change. Any advice or insight that you would give to that and to a, a unifying voice in the midst of all this chaos of how we can come together as a people to, uh, to make an impact in our communities? Yeah, I think that where my mind goes there is if that's our goal um, to actually make substantive change, um, you know, that's good for all of us, then the conversations that we have need to cost us something. Um, they can't be cheap. I think tweets are cheap. Uh, Facebook statuses are cheap. Um, having awkward conversations with your neighbor is costly. Mm -hmm. um, it's uncomfortable. Like, it might change the way that they view you. Mm -hmm. um, it costs something. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that we can move the needle is to actually invest um, in the conversations that we have. And so I would say have more expensive conversations. Mm. That's what I would say. I love it. I love it. Authentic and transparent. And I will remember that Brene Brown quote about leaning in, yes. right? Leaning in. I'm going to do that. Hey, Reggie, I, I, I want to tell you, you know, it, you are. You've been not only just a great friend, but I can. You're a great brother, and I just. I. I absolutely love you. I love spending time with you. I appreciate you investing this amount of time with us and our, our listeners today. And rest assured, I am going to be calling you back up to say, find out when we can have part two because there's so much more to discuss. And uh, hopefully, we'll be able to uh, get together for another great dinner at Ruth's Chris once again. We'll have to, we'll have to go back there, and uh, of course, more more dialogue and vigorous debate on the future of our economy and our, our, our country and all the various things that are going on. And so I, I really look forward to that. But I just want to say thank you, Reggie. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me here, Bob. I would echo all of the same sentiments and don't want to take up space in your podcast to do so. But I feel the same way. So awesome. thank you. All right. Love you, buddy. We'll talk soon. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Taking the Leap podcast. I'm your host, Bob Dickey. Hope you enjoyed this segment. God bless, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are are distributed. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.